This episode of Engineering the Future is brought to you by Epic Training, supporting engineers since 1992. Epic Training knows the transition to working from home has been difficult for both businesses and employees. That is why we've converted all our courses to online to keep engineers and technologists on track. For more information on how we can help your company thrive, visit epictraining.ca. This podcast is brought to you by OSPI, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, the advocacy body for professional engineers and the engineering community in Ontario. Welcome to Engineering the Future, a podcast presented to you by the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers. I am your host, Jerome James. Today, I'm joined by Carla Avis Birch, engineering graduate, and Chief Planning Officer at Metrolinx. Carla guides the planning and benefits of the Regional Transportation Network and supports evidence-based decision-making in the delivery of transit projects. She is deeply passionate about forging end-to-end transit solutions from vision to reality, region-wide, for decades to come. Carla, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role as Chief Planning Officer at Metrolinx? What does this entail? Thank you, Jerome. Uh, And thank you for having me here on the podcast tonight. Um, So my role at Metrolinx, as you mentioned, as Chief Planning Officer is, is working in three different segments, but really delivering on transit solutions across the region. Planning, really looking at service planning, stations planning. How do we look at the, uh, commuter patterns that's happening across the region and how do we uh, feed that information on how ride, what riders need, what communities need uh, in terms of transit. As it relates to design specifically, we relate that into um, what are the customer experience needs, how are we building for accessibility, sustainability, uh, station access, first mile, last mile, which actually means how do we get people from their homes to the stations, not always in their cars. Um, how do we build those strategies? And lastly, we have the sponsorship office. The sponsorship office is new to North America, but in general, it's not a typical sponsor in terms of what a financial or kind of a mentor kind of a way. This sponsor is really uh, a person who is a fixer, who really understands the issues of the projects, who is following the project through the entire life cycle from the beginning to the end in delivery and really helping all of those delivery teams, whether it be... um, Uh, construction delivery or planning delivery, business cases, environmental assessments, property, stakeholder management, helping all those moving parts as an ecosystem in being able to make sure that all the decisions that we make throughout the life cycle of the project benefit the overall outcome as intended. So that's in a nutshell my role at Metrolinx right now. (laughs) Wow, excellent. Um, Could you elaborate on maybe a a project that... uh, you're currently working on. How has it been impacted by the the current pandemic? Well, I would say that I'm part of a team of people that are working on multiple projects, right? And so ultimately we have a a network and a portfolio of work that's happening uh, in order to deliver more transit solutions uh, across the region, whether we're where I am in Ajax, kind of Bowmanville and and, uh, Oshawa and Whitby and all those kinds of services going all the way out to, you know, our Niagara services going north into places like uh, Lincolnville and, and beyond. Right. Um, so 
we are right now embarking on a multi-generational, multi-billion dollar transformational um, uh, addition of transit infrastructure and transit services uh, over the next few years. And so there are projects that may be familiar to people like we say the GO expansion. So that's bringing a 15-minute bi-directional electrified service across uh, the region on multiple uh, corridors that we actually have right now. You may hear things like a Bloomington new station service that has just been added to the Richmond Hill corridor line right, where we've right. extended out that service, right? You may hear about uh, works that we're working on transit-oriented communities. So all these things are really planning for the future, planning for and understanding where people need to live, work, play, and how transit plays a very crucial role in, in, in building that, serving that need, and really, at the end of the day, building a, a vital part of the economy that we're building right now. Right. COVID has affected mm-hmm. us all, right? COVID has affected us all. And Absolutely. we we are still learning, and we're still trying to figure out what the future will look like post-COVID. Uh, we've all been hit in a way with the pandemic that enables, and uh, that needs us to adjust, and we need to figure out for ourselves what that means. And and we are doing that every day. So even though we've been live and operating and really um, um, delivering for the needs of uh, transit users across the region throughout the whole time, we're also monitoring how people are coming back to the system. And they may not be coming back in the same way that they were before we left. Uh, And we continue to monitor that and try to adapt and, and respond and listen to what are the needs are in that changing dynamic. Inter- very interesting. Um, I want to uh, ask you about uh, something that you mentioned earlier around uh, that last mile tra- uh, transportation of transportation, uh, either from the uh, main transit uh, hub to your destination or from it to your home. How has that kind of been developing and what is the evolution of Last Mile, especially going forward into this new, more sustainable green future that we all kind of envision for ourselves um, in our future transit? I mean, that's a great question because it's a testament of how we are evolving and responding, right? Um, I would say that, you know, we're building this network effect And in the network effect, it means not only the trains and buses and different services that we're directly providing, but more importantly, ultimately, it's about the connections we're also making. Uh, So to your point around uh, that last mile and how we using innovation, how we're using technology, how we're using partnerships with our municipalities or municipal service providers to really make that happen. Right now at our Whitby Go Station and our Rouge Hill Go Station, there is a pilot happening right now around autonomous vehicles. And that is a, 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 a private partnership that really is being led by those uh, municipalities, but really working with the private sector and bringing these different ways of moving people around the region and really trying out what are the opportunities for us to, to offer as much choice uh, as possible. And, and those connections and those relationships and partnerships are really big in trying to help build out these uh, last mile solutions. Uh, that's very interesting and very innovative. Uh, autonomous vehicles. Uh, how? Who gets to be <laughs> on the the cutting edge? What 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 stations are going to be uh, piloting this project? 
Well, that seems like a whole new conversation, another podcast altogether where we could bring <laughs> on the team. We could talk, talk about, you know, insurance and liabilities right. and, and all that good stuff. Uh, but right now, like I said, uh, we are really proud to be partnering with the uh, town of Whitby and the city of Toronto at those two locations where they are working with private partners on that pilot program. I can't wait to hear more about those projects as they unfold. Um, yeah. So I just want to dive into understanding a little bit more about you as an individual. Okay, uh, sure. <laughs> you're a graduate of uh, civil engineering at, uh, at um, Ryerson, Ryerson University. All, nearly to be formally known as Ryerson University. Very That's proud right. of them for that. That's right. Um, you received your professional engineering designation in, in 2001. Um, how has your training as an engineer prepared you to take on such a critical role at Metrolink? <laughs> well, it's only part of the story, as you know, as you build out your career and you start to grow. Uh, but what I would say, and I've said it before in other, uh, in other forums, it's given me street cred, right? So it allows me to uh, really be able to get my hands dirty, really understand what we're talking about when there's just lines on a page, really understand uh, what's behind being able to put in foundations into a ground, what's behind uh, being able to uh, work with the contractor, right? And how do you plan for a project and deliver that project? So, you know, when I was in school, I, I, I never really felt for myself that I would be figuring out, you know, how much crusher run stone I would need versus, you know, granular A. I never thought that I was actually going to be designing a beam, even though that was my thesis. Um, but I did know that I was going to be solving problems. And I did know that I wanted to take that thinking, that engineering type of thinking around problem solving, understanding the solution trying to find a solution, building facts, data, working with numbers, uh, working with ideas, concepts to really put together, you know, a simplified version of a very complex issue. Um, and I would say that, you know, all the classes that I took building out in uh, at Ryerson to get my engineering degree and even some of the work that I had to do to get my um, uh, my professional engineering designation uh, at the time, because you had to do contract law, you had to do some other things, really allowed me to kind of build out uh, some visibility to how you actually get something done. Right. Uh, and I would say that at the end of the day, um, being able to deliver on results is, is one of the biggest uh, um, values that I kind of took out of uh, my education. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. At OSPI, we're here for you making sure government, media, and the public are listening to the voice of engineers. You can learn more at ospi.on.ca. Yeah, I just want to uh, move into a, a little question. I would be remiss if I mentioned 2001 and didn't bring up uh, uh, September 11th, 2001. Mm. Uh, that day we saw a lot of... Um, uh, things that we weren't necessarily prepared for and we had to think on our feet and uh, there was traffic, uh, air traffic diversions and plan B's and C's being implemented. How do you think that experience affected planning 
from a transit perspective moving forward in the case of, you know, X, Y, and Z happening uh, in the future? Yeah. I, listen, September 11th hit the world in a way that we are today taking for granted. You know, taking off your shoes at the airport is something that we didn't do before. And now you plan for it. You probably wear different shoes when you go just because of it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I think that it made the world a little bit smaller. Right. We kind of connected in a way with everybody around the world. Everybody gravitated to the U.S. We even had I remember at that time I was in construction. I was working for a developer uh, and I was standing in a building and we were talking about something coming to the CN Tower. So. Uh, as it relates to kind of how we move in the world and even how we bring that to our professional life and in transit as well, it's around, um, you know, uh, you're never going to have all the answers on day one, but you have to be uh, able to be flexible and agile and really uh, open to how things are going to be changing underneath your feet and you're going to have to be able to react the best way you can. Uh, mm -hmm. Even in the most tragic of circumstances, you have to make split second decisions and live with the consequences. And those consequences may prove to be good or may prove to be bad. And, and that's okay. You know, right? The, 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 the journey is really what matters here. Uh, and how you're able to just um, switch gears and pivot and, and not be bogged down by ping, ping, finger pointing or blame. It's really around recognizing where you are now and what you need to do to get to the next place. Absolutely. And uh, from your perspective, uh, why do you think it's important to have engineers around the table to make those critical decisions uh, moving forward with regards to uh, strategic planning or the future of transit in Ontario? You can't make a decision without having all the information. And as important as it is to have engineers at the table, you need to have planners at the table. You need to have economists at the table. You need to have visionaries at the table. You need to have construction builders at the tables. You need to have operators at the table. So the message for me here is you need everybody at the table. And I mean, I hate to do a plug for diversity and inclusion, but that is the benefit of, you know, uh, 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 diversity in thought, really having uh, a very inclusive environment that you're listening to all those voices. And together, collectively with those voices, you have decision makers who are then making sound decisions, having all the information in front of you, understanding the risks. And some decisions may weigh heavily on the engineering. Others may weigh heavily on, you know, your P&L, your cost, your cost-benefit ratio, or your revenue um, or, or, uh, or a political decision or a community benefit, or, you know, there's always different, uh, criteria or different factors that are going to make your choices. But absolutely. I mean, my brothers and sisters, dear, close to my heart, engineering are at the table to kind of really help you give you the black and the white decision, uh, information that feeds into everything else. Because at the end of the day, it is all shades of gray. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so just moving into uh, a little bit more about the things that you've been involved in outside of your day job. Uh, you were uh, shortlisted for uh, the 2020 Women in Infrastructure Network Outstanding Leadership Award. Uh, you have been 
the past president of Women in Transportation Seminars, uh, Toronto Area Chapter, and we're federally appointed by Infrastructure Canada to serve on the Windsor-Detroit Bridge Authority Board of Directors to oversee the construction of the Gordie Howe Bridge. What advice would you have for young people starting out in their careers in engineering? What does it take to be successful? Oh, that's a big question. Um, let me start with the first part. What my advice to engineers is pursue what you are loving. So you've already chosen engineer for a reason, but like me, it may not be a traditional career path like in a consultant firm or designing or an architect or what it may be. And that's totally okay. You need to allow yourself to be open for other opportunities, even in transit. I don't think starting out in civil engineering that I would have thought that transit would where it'd be landing, but I have, and I love it, bringing value add. And I feel that I wouldn't do anything differently right now. And so my advice here is to really be open. Uh, don't listen to the he said, she said, they say you should. You need to do what you need to do, right? And you need to kind of build those networks, um, talk to people, uh, invest in networking. I didn't earlier on. I was just too focused on, I got a five-year plan. I got to do X, Y, Z. And I didn't really take a lot of time for some networking, but I would offer that, you know, there is a lot of value in that and that will give you a lot of more visibility in, um, in what we do. Can you repeat to me the second half of your question? Oh, um, I was just saying, oh, I hit it? <laughs> uh, what does it take to be successful? So, uh, um, you were saying that you didn't necessarily uh, focus on networking, but you were able to focus on your own goals per se. And, and I did early on, pursue. and I don't know if that's the only path. So what does it take to be successful? I don't have all the answers. I mean, I, I would be, it would be arrogant of me and even, um, you know, to, to suggest otherwise. But, but I do believe, I do believe that it takes some certain qualities, right? And so I think it, it, you need to have resilience. I, I feel that for me, that was the one thing that kept me going, even when I didn't think I could, even when I didn't have people around me who were supporting me in the way that I didn't even know I needed. And then when somebody did and they tapped me on the shoulder, I knew that that was what was missing. So that confidence, is another area, another skill, another competency that you want to kind of build on for yourself. And you want to build a bit of a tribe because you need people that are going to stand up for you. And then in turn, you end up standing up for others. And I try to do that now. So I, I don't know what makes you successful. I, I know what makes me happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if I had any advice, I would say focus on what's making you happy. That's infectious. Uh, people are going to believe in you, trust in you, rely on you, and then in turn, you're going to feel successful. Do you believe that you are a role model for um, young people of color uh, coming up in the world? And, and if so, how, how has that uh, shaped how you, um, how you lead today? I, I'm still in awe that people watch what I'm doing, see what I'm doing, are interested in what I'm doing. Part of the reason of all those things that you talked about of me doing outside of my day job was 
huge part because I wanted to prove to myself that I could offer value outside of people that are paying me on the day to day. Right. So, so that speaks to this, you know, perception, this understanding. Um, I understand now that it matters, particularly as a black woman uh, in a in a predominantly male industry. I am overwhelmed by how many people reach out and say, "You're giving me that extra inspiration." Tell me about, you know, you know, I, I want to learn from you, or I'm, I'm just seeing you there. Just seeing you there is enough for me. I am, I'm, I'm, um, I'm clear-eyed that that mm-hmm. is important. I am clear-eyed that that is important. Didn't set out for it to be that way, but I, for sure, am leaning into that and, and will do and try to do whatever I can to help represent all of us uh, in the best way and start to open doors where they may have not been before uh, and be the same shoulders that people could stand on for me that I am standing on of others. Well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about uh, your personal story and your journey, as well as the very interesting, insightful goings-ons at uh, (laughs) Metrolinks right now. Uh, It was really great to talk to you today. Thank you, Jerome, and thank you to the OPSC for even having these podcasts. I think that it is hugely, hugely beneficial to everybody out there and and to learn just a little bit about engineering, a little bit more STEM, STEM cell, STEM, STEM, STEM uh, industry all the way. I'm happy that you're able to to join us. Um, We've been speaking with Carla Avis-Birch, an engineering graduate and chief planning officer at Metrolinx. I am your host, Jerome James, and you've been listening, listening to another episode of Engineering the Future. From all of us at OSPI, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.